Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lord's House for Worship. The, the stuff we face in life, the frustrations, the tensions, the, all of it goes back to sin. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle we see and we face every day. And to that, Jesus extends to you an incredible invitation and promise. And you get to hear it today. Come to me, and I will give you rest. All three of our readings will emphasize the rest that's found in Jesus our Savior. Order of service is found on screen and in your worship folder. Let's begin with our opening hymn, 703. stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Let us then confess our sins to the Lord. Almighty and merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed, we have devised and desired in our hearts. We have offended you and sinned against your holy law. We have done those things that we should not have done, 
and we have not done those things that we should have done. Have mercy on us, Lord. Spare us, forgive us, and restore us according to your promises in Christ Jesus. Our gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority alone, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In peace, then, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above, and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, your mercy attends us all our days. Be our strength and support amid the wearisome changes of this world. And at life's end, grant us your promised rest and the full joys of your salvation. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. sermon is based on these words of our first lesson from Exodus 33, and this really is a continuation of last week as well with the golden calf incident. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The word of the Lord. Continue with the soul.
Second lesson this morning from Romans 7, you hear Paul talk about this struggle it is to be a Christian here on earth. Lots of golden calves still out there. And to fight to keep them out of our life is, is just a daily struggle. We need rescue. We need a leader, just like Israel did. And God's provided one in Jesus. We find rest in him. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not, I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, <clears throat> but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Please stand. Gospel from Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for hymn 833. Jesus, who provides just perfect rest for the soul. Brothers and sisters, it's a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT. And there are probably a few who know what I'm talking about, but for those of you like me who had to look that up, it's the incredible car in Ferris Bueller's day off. That that incredible vehicle that a number of teens thought that they could go joyriding around for the day, skip school, and, 
and pack the miles on this car and, and then put the back tires up on jacks and then spin those wheels backwards and undo the mileage that they had done for the day. They thought they could outwit the odometer. They thought they could outsmart a father. And so they went and they had their fun. And there they are, realizing the day they skipped school was probably the day they were supposed to learn in physics class that there's no such thing as negative miles per hour. And there's no such thing as undoing the mileage you've put on the odometer. And so there they stand, one of them completely ticked off, and he kicks the car, which still has the tires spinning backwards, and it sends the car off the jacks, out the glass back of the wall, down a steep embankment, where it's just totaled and left in pieces. And it's still seared in my brain, that, that look of those teens as they're standing at that broken glass wall, looking down at the total destruction their actions have come to bring about that day. And you can see the look, clear as day on their faces. Now what? That's exactly where Israel was. That's exactly the pain Israel felt at this moment of our lesson of the Old Testament in their gut, in their heart, but especially in their soul. And it wasn't because they trashed a 1961 Ferrari. It's because they trashed their special relationship with God, that they were his chosen nation, his chosen people. And, and there it was. Everything they had done because of the golden calf, it was totaled. It was left in pieces, just like those teens looking down at the total destruction. In a way, it's the same thing when Moses took those commandments of God and smashed them all over the floor, over the ground. There it was in pieces. That represented their relationship. Just completely destroyed. Aaron had misled the people to chase after a golden calf and to worship a false god. And the people went after it. Like it was their joyride. And boy, did they have their fun for a short time. Until they realized that lesson. That you can't take away the mileage of sin. You can't reverse the wheels and undo the sinful actions that you've done. And so now, God was done with them. <laughs> Moses uh, had his tent right smack dab in the middle of the 12 tribes of Israel. He had his tent in the middle of the entire community. Well, he picked it up and he moved it outside the camp far away from the 12 tribes. And it's there where he pitched his tent. And God would come down and talk with Moses, and the people could see it. And then when God was done talking with Moses, he would go up. And the implications were clear. God divorced himself from those people. God separated himself from them. He was completely done. He said to Moses prior to our text, you know what, Moses, I'm walking away here. I am going to send these people an angel. A created being can lead them from from this place where you're at now to the promised land where I said I would and promised you I would lead them, but I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'm just going to send an angel and then I'm walking away. And so what's going to happen next? 
Here are the people completely devastated. They had repented for their sins with the golden calf to Moses. Moses, he had no idea what God is going to do. And so there the people are with a destroyed relationship looking down at the culmination of all of their sinful actions, all the broken pieces that are there, pit in their soul, in their stomach, saying, Now what? There's a, there's a Latin phrase for this, and it, and it actually fits the whole text, not just this particular point. The Latin phrase is called Deus absconditus, and, and it translates into English as the hidden God. It, it's when the soul cries out, Lord, where are you? Lord, what are you saying about this particular thing? I don't know what you're saying about this particular teaching. Help me understand. I, I don't know your will here. God, why do you feel distant from me? Why do you hide yourself and seem like you're light years away and at the same time, I feel like I'm so far removed from you? Where are you? Why are you hiding? What's going on? Why don't you give me a sign? Why don't you just tell me what to do in this moment? And, and when God hides himself like that, and he does... Just sets us at unease. It, it, it distorts our, our whole being, and we, we're just off. And that's exactly where Moses was. He had no idea at this point what the will of God was going to be. God hadn't revealed it to him. And the only thing he could do is take it to the Lord. There he is at his tent. And God comes down and he takes this issue to the Lord and he pleads with the Lord and he basically says, Lord, Please no, not a created angel. That's not good enough. These are your people, Lord. You are their God. They are nothing without you. The one thing that distinguishes this people from any other people on earth is you. Please go with them. God answered. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Just imagine Moses' joy. Just swelling heart. He is so thrilled at seeing the heart of God that he would restore this relationship God himself would go with them. And it's the same thing the Apostle Paul felt in that second lesson that we had today. The Apostle Paul who's struggling with sin, you know, even as an apostle, pastor, doesn't matter what title is before your name, as long as you're a sinner, we're going to struggle in this life with sin. There are golden calves throughout this world, and we're fighting to stay away from them and to stay grounded in, in who our God is and what he's done for us, and it's hard. And the Apostle Paul recognizes what a despicable sinner he still is, even as an apostle. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is disgusting. I can't save myself. Who's my solution going to be? Where's my answer going to be? And he looked in the scripture and God revealed an answer. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory and the delivery and the rescue through our Lord Jesus Christ. God would not abandon Paul. God would not leave him to his sin. 
God would bind himself to him in Jesus Christ, partner with him, lead him, rescue him, and deliver him through the work of Jesus Christ. And he does the same for you. There's a neat phrase from Augustine. I think he wrote this around 400 AD. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. It's a prayer. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 400 years after Christ. This is what Christians have trusted. Lord, our hearts are restless, disturbed. There's a pain in the gut and the soul until it finds its solution and rest in you. What struggles we're going to have of body and soul when we search for solutions to earthly sin apart from our saving creator? What intelligence scientists have and professors and, and maybe even politicians, we'll give them a little credit today, politicians have, uh, there are some smart ones out there. And yet in the gospel lesson today, Jesus says when the Sunday school children learn about Jesus Christ, they are so wise and smarter than the wisest people in the world because they know Jesus and the rest that he offers them. You see, God may hide himself, and he does in so many ways. He doesn't tell you what to do outside of the scriptures, and, and the scriptures don't tell us everything we want to know about the Lord. There is so much more to him that the Bible doesn't tell us, and it would be nice to know. And so God hides himself. He restricts himself, but he makes it clear to sinners what his will for them is in the scriptures. That he's willing to save. And so here in Jesus Christ is real, legitimate, lasting rest for your soul. Here is a vacation from sin where you just get to bask in everything Jesus has done. Here is a place where the, where the struggle, in a manner of speaking, ends. Because Jesus struggled and won for you. And you know what's going to happen next. You know what's going to happen with your soul through faith in Jesus, that at the end of life, God is going to take your soul to paradise. And you know what's going to happen with this body of death. It's going to go down to the grave where it waits the power of Jesus Christ who will raise it from the dead, glorify it, reunite you with your soul, and you're going to live. Now, that's neat to know what's going to happen to us one day, but I think you need to know what's happening to you this day. You need to know exactly where you stand with your maker. God's forgiven you in Jesus Christ. All of your sin. You are his people. He's reestablished the relationship in spite of our ongoing sin and struggle and failures. Christ repeats and refreshes his mercy and forgiveness to us again. And he goes with us and will lead us forward in Christ. He doesn't hide that. Moses, in, in hearing this, I mean, he is just beside himself. He, he is so thrilled to know that it's not an angel going forward, that God is not going to walk away from these sinful people, himself included, that God is going to lead them and go forward, that in humility, and remember, Moses is still the most humble man on the face of the earth, uh, 
a great leader, and so hearing the heart of God, he blurts something out in his excitement. Now, now show me your glory. <laughs> Some people think Moses went too far here. Some people think Moses sinned. That this is way too much for a sinful person to ask. But God doesn't have a problem with it in the context. And I don't think Moses went too far at all. I think he's just gone from the lowest low. God was going to walk away from his people because of their sin. It was their fault, not God's. And God, because of the gospel, turns and says, I will forgive them and restore my relationship with them and go forward with them and lead them. And so Moses goes from the lowest low now to the highest high in the gospel. And so he blurts this out in excited joy, now show me your glory. And that's not Moses saying, now show me your glory. He's not commanding the Lord here. It's still a polite phrase that he's saying, really, now please, Lord, show me your glory. And maybe if I can make it a little more colloquial, this is the sense of what Moses is saying. God had said twice, I'm pleased with you, Moses, and I know you by name. Meaning, I know you intimately, Moses, through and through. We have a special relationship here. God spoke with Moses very intimately in the cloud and at his tent. And so Moses is basically saying back to God, his friend, Lord, you said you are pleased with me and you know me. And we have this special friendship. I want to know you. Don't. Hide yourself from me. Show me your glory. And God amazingly says yes. And he says, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to reveal all my glory, Moses. It is going to go right by you. But you know what, Moses, you can't see it. I'm going to proclaim my name and my passing, and all my glory will shine. But no sinful person can see me and live. No sinful person can see my face in full glory because what that means in context is to see the future, to see what God sees, to know the mind of God, to see what God is thinking. When you look at somebody's face, you can see their expression. And so in a way, it's putting a sinful man on the same level as God. And so no person can see God like that and live. And yet God is saying, I'm still going to parade my glory right by you, Moses, but I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put my hand in front of you, and God doesn't have a hand, and so it's basically a picture of his protective power that's going to shield Moses, and then Moses, at just the right time, I'm going to part my fingers in a manner of speaking, I'm going to put a gap in my hand, and you're going to be able to peek through, and you're going to get to see my back, and that's exactly what happened. God put Moses in the cleft, way up high. The glory of the Lord came by. The Lord proclaimed his name. And at just the right time, God split his fingers and Moses was able to see the back. What, is, what does all that mean? God goes by Moses. He can't see, he can't, Moses can't see God's glory in full, his face. But he can hear his name. And this is the essence of the name of God. He says, as he's going by, he said these words to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, 
and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I hope those are some of the most beautiful words to you today. Notice it doesn't say, I can't wait to send somebody to hell because that's who I am. I can't wait to punish. I can't wait to damn. I can't wait to condemn. That's not the heart of God. When God proclaims his saving name, what is so glorious about God is, this is the God who loves to have mercy on sinners. This is the Lord who at his essence loves to have compassion on those who have been so struggling with sin, like Paul, like Moses, like the Israelites. And so what Moses is hearing, can't see it, is the saving name of God going by and that he loves to be merciful and compassionate. And then God splits his fingers and Moses peeks out and he sees the back of God. Well, what does it mean to see the back of God? If this is all you see, in a manner of speaking, you're seeing where somebody has been. If I'm here, you have to see how far it took me to get here. And so it's the same for Moses. What Moses sees, in my opinion here, is Genesis 1, Genesis 2, all the way down to the end of the book, Exodus, all the way through to Israel. What Moses saw here are the mighty acts of God in creating the world where God had been, what God had done, all the way down to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way down to Israel. But, but that's not, not quite it yet. To see the backside of God is to see God in history and where he's gone and what he's done. But God proclaimed his saving name. So now Moses sees where God has been and how God acted to save sinners throughout all of history. It's not just God created Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, look what God did. He promised a savior at his own expense. And then God comes and deals with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, certainly sinful men, sinful wives, sinful kids. And look how God in mercy and compassion dealt with them over the years. Look how God is now dealing with the Israelites with the same mercy and compassion. How he deals with sinners in history right on down to you and me today. It's still the same grace. In fact, isn't that the wisdom of the scripture? To see what God has done in the past. Not just that he created the world. Not just that he steered the world. But that he brought all events to culminate in the sending of Jesus Christ to go to the cross. That's where the rubber hit the road for sinners. That's where God brings through and through that you get to see his mercy and compassion that he punished your sin in full in Jesus. There you get to see the Lord who all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, you get to see the face of God who hid his glory, set it aside for a time so that you can come to him today and tomorrow and every day and find rest for your soul. Here is the Lord who binds himself to you again today who says, you know what? In mercy and compassion, I will go with you and I will lead you. And through faith in Jesus Christ, 
you are going to see his glory. Not, not, not this kind, where you only get to hear it. Not this kind, where, where you only get to see the back of God. You are going to get to see the glory where God doesn't need to protect you at all. Because you're remade in his glorious image. And you will see God face to face and live. So come. Come at Jesus' invitation and find rest for your soul. Amen. Please stand. We join together in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Karen Linda Kugel, who you took to your side yesterday evening around 6.30. What a wonderful woman of faith that you shaped from baptism onward, who trusted you in these last few months, who just so longed to be with you. Thank you for leading her to her heavenly home. And in this time of sorrow on earth, bless the relatives and build them up with your incredible miracle gospel that will bring them rest. We join to pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always.
please be seated for the supper.